questions and answers. There is little historical confirmation that confirms the accounts recorded in holy books like the Quran, the Bhagavad Gita, and the Book of Mormon. How does the Bible compare? Is there historical evidence for the events recorded in the Bible? Christianity is uniquely a historical faith, and there's been numerous historical confirmation for the people, places, and events in the Bible. You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zukran. Pat is an international teacher, speaker, and author in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today, let's listen as Pat shares a message entitled, The Stones Cry Out, and discover some of the more significant discoveries in archaeology that confirm the historical reliability of the Bible. Research here has been done by this man here, Dr. Bryant Wood, and there he is at Jericho standing by one of the walls there, and you can see how high that wall is, okay, and there he's pointing to portions where the wall collapsed. They also discovered large jars filled with grain. Now, if you lay siege to a city, what do you do? You starve the people out. All right, the fact that there are large jars of grain shows you the city was captured very quickly and the city was burned to the ground. They did carbon dating on the city and on the charcoal remains and they, it dates right to the 14th century. Not only that, they discovered in cemeteries right around Jericho these what's called scarab beetles. If you saw the movie The Mummy, all right, these are scarab beetles. They're found at grave sites, okay, and they put the dates when these graves were in use and when people died. And these scarabs here, this is uh, Thutmus III, who ruled from 1500 to 1450 in Egypt. This is Amenhotep, 1386 to 1349. And that scarab there is Hatshepsut. I think I said his name right. Now these dates here show you that the graves were in use until the 14th century, when suddenly it all comes to an end. What happened to Jericho? Well, archaeologists say some kind of disaster happened to Jericho that brought that city to an end. Well, that's consistent with what the Bible says that indeed it was destroyed by the people of Israel. Once again, jewelry, large jars of grain and other artifacts were discovered there. Now remember, the Jews are coming out of the desert. Grain like this is extremely valuable for them to plunder, yet they left it all there. Why is that? Well, because in the Bible they were forbidden to loot and plunder the city of Jericho. So the discoveries confirm the biblical account. In fact, in 1990, the New York Times, not a conservative newspaper, of course, wrote an article called Score One for the Bible. And it says, after years of doubt among archaeologists, a new analysis of excavations has yielded a wide range of evidence supporting the biblical account about the fall of Jericho. All right, here we go. In Tel Dan in northern Israel, Critics once argued King David and Solomon are mythical figures in Bible history. They're simply legends of folklore like Paul Bunyan. In order to give the people of Israel some kind of hero like Hercules or uh, Maui so that to encourage the nation and build their identity. However, in 1993 up in Tel Dan, northern Israel, Israeli archaeologists discovered 
part of a stone stele, okay, a stone monument bearing the inscriptions of King David and the ruling dynasty that followed after him. This is the first discovery of David outside of the Bible. Here is the article that made front page news all over the United States. And here, scholars stated, use the words phenomenal, stunning, sensational to describe the discovery that was made. Here was a victory plaque which was dated to the 9th century BC made by Ben Hadad of Syria. He's recorded in 1 Kings chapter 15 who defeated the kings of Israel, of northern Israel. And he put up a victory plaque, a victory stele up there in northern Israel. And he talks about his defeat over the kings of Israel. He says, I killed Jehoram, son of Ahab, king of Israel. I killed Ahaziah, son of Jehoram, king of the house of David. So here the king of Damascus, writing a few decades after David, acknowledges a King David. Here the enemy of Israel acknowledges a historical David and that the kings come from the line of David. All right, so Jehoram, Ahaziah, Ahab, we know are historical figures. Why not David as well? And in fact, not too long ago, they discovered the entire city of David. And it's been recently opened to the public and they are making tremendous discoveries there in the city of David. Here's another one. The invasion of Sennacherib in 2 Kings 19. He comes upon the land of Israel with hundreds of thousands of Assyrian troops, captures the northern cities of Israel, and then he surrounds Jerusalem, if you remember the story. And the righteous king Hezekiah goes into the temple to pray. And the Lord, through the prophet Isaiah, says, tomorrow you'll be eating the plunder of the Assyrian army. And it says, that night the angel of the Lord went out and slew 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp. And when they saw the dead bodies, they fled. Now, many historians saw this simply as a fictional fairy tale. Well, not too long ago, in 1830, we discovered the Sennacherib's prism. Okay, that's a prism. It's about this big. Okay, it's not like this. It's, yeah, these guys wrote really small. And it records Sennacherib's invasion and conquest of the land of Israel. And it records him coming to the north, plundering the cities of the north. And he mentions, guess who? Hezekiah as a real historical figure, right? Not a person of legend. Hey, when those of you in legal work know that enemy attestation is one of the most powerful evidences in court, right? When your opponent acknowledges your facts, that's some of the most powerful testimony or evidence used in court. So here, when you have the enemies of the nation of Israel acknowledging people, places, and events of Israel, that's powerful historical testimony here. And he says, to Hezekiah himself, like a caged bird, I shut him up in Jerusalem, in his royal city. And he talks about having surrounded Hezekiah and having him trapped like a caged bird. What's interesting is he never mentions capturing the city or Hezekiah. He suddenly retreats 
Why is that? Well, he never conquered the city. Why not? Well, according to a biblical account, his army got slaughtered that night. And so history records how he retreated back to Nineveh where he was assassinated by his sons as recorded in the Bible. And in fact, in 2011, there in the city of David, just recently, we discovered the seal of Hezekiah, who ruled the kingdom of Israel at this time. Here we're going through Hezekiah's tunnel here. And as you can see, the water, well, you can kind of see, water goes up to your thigh there. This is the tunnel that Hezekiah and his men built before the siege, how they got water into the city of Jerusalem there. And that's Hezekiah's tunnel. You can go through it today. Water's nice and fresh and cold, and it's about thigh deep. It's a really fun trek to go through there, Hezekiah's tunnel. The last Old Testament archaeological discovery we'll talk about is perhaps the greatest manuscript discovery in history. Out in the Dead Sea, in the Dead Sea Desert, there lived a group of people called the Essenes. About 200 BC, about 200 years before Christ, a group of monastics saw the corruption at the Jerusalem temple, the corruption that got Jesus so upset. But the corruption at the Jerusalem temple had been going on for quite a long time. All right, and so they retreated out into the Dead Sea Desert. And there they recorded, they copied the Old Testament, their theological works, and rules of the community. All right, and they were out there at about 200 BC. Why? Because when you look at the chronology of Daniel, the 69 sevens, they knew the Messiah was coming soon. They knew he was coming soon. Daniel 9 records the date of the arrival and crucifixion of the Messiah right to the day. All right, so they knew he was coming soon. So they retreated in the desert, lived holy lives waiting for the Messiah. Then in 66 AD, the war with the Romans broke out and they took their scrolls and manuscripts and hid them up in these caves here up in the Dead Sea. About 14 caves there were found and there the jars lay hidden for nearly 2,000 years. In 1947, in cave number four here, a discovery was made. These jars were discovered. And when they were opened up, ancient scrolls and manuscripts were discovered. Thousands of them. Thousands of them. Uh, this was the greatest manuscript discovery that was ever made. Fragments from every book of the Old Testament was discovered, except for the book of Esther. All right, we found the entire scroll of Isaiah. You can go visit it at the Israeli Museum. The entire scroll of Isaiah was discovered. Tremendous, tremendous discovery. Well, what's the significance of this discovery? Well, our Old Testament is the earliest manuscript we have is about 900 A.D. That's the earliest Old Testament manuscript that we have. The Dead Sea Scrolls are dated about 100 B.C., some earlier, some later. So there is a thousand-year gap between our Old Testament text. It's called the Masoretic text. The earliest Masoretic text of the Old Testament we have is 900 AD. The Dead Sea Scrolls date 100 BC. There's a thousand-year gap between our Masoretic text and the Dead Sea Scrolls. Now, when they match them up side by side, if there was a lot of differences, 
if there was a lot of differences and changes and edits, you could argue the Old Testament has not been accurately preserved. When they matched them up, guess what they found? They were pretty much identical. Hey, the entire scroll of Isaiah was matched up with the book of Isaiah that we have now, and it was found to be about 99% identical. The 1% difference had to do with scribal notes, some grammar, just some very minor changes, confirming our Old Testament has been very accurately preserved. Compare that to the Quran. We have about only four or five ancient manuscripts of the Quran in Yemen, Jordan, and other places. When you match them up to the Quran we have today, guess what? Huge difference. Huge, huge, huge difference. A lot of editing, a lot of changes, a lot of eraser marks. It is very difficult to find an ancient manuscript of the Quran, these four or five, that matches the Quran we have today. They're very, very different. Okay, and that's a tremendous challenge for Muslim scholars. Because according to Islamic theology, the Quran is the perfect book that has come down to us from heaven. Absolutely perfect. You go up to heaven, you'll see the exact same Quran, never changed, preserved perfectly. Yet when you look at the earliest manuscripts, they're very different. But in the Old Testament, what do we got? Oh, we got evidence that has been very well preserved. Not only that, the Dead Sea Scrolls showed that the Messianic prophecies of Christ, over a hundred that he fulfilled, were written at least a hundred years before he set foot upon the earth. At least a hundred years before. Even if you don't believe Isaiah wrote Isaiah or Daniel wrote Daniel, at least a hundred years before Christ set foot upon the earth, the prophecies of Christ were down and written, and he fulfilled each one. Absolutely amazing. Just for no prophetic confirmation like that anywhere in world history except here with the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Bible. Then, if you talk to unbelieving Jews today, and you talk about Isaiah 53 and other messianic passages, they will say, well, the suffering servant is us, the nation of Israel. We are the suffering servant. Well, first of all, if you read Isaiah 53, it doesn't match the nation of Israel. But in the Dead Sea Scrolls, we have theological works that tell us what first century Jews believed about the Messiah. And nowhere does it say the nation of Israel is the suffering servant. In fact, first century Jews were waiting for a person, a Messiah, to come. That's what they were waiting for. In fact, there was a confusion amongst Jewish theologians and scholars because they knew he was a conquering king but also a priest. And they couldn't figure out how to put the two together. How do you have a priest who's also a conquering king? All right? And so in the Dead Sea Scrolls, it's kind of funny, there are stories of two messiahs, both of them showing up at a feast at the same time. Okay, they didn't realize it's not two messiahs, it's two comings of the one messiah. First as a priest, then he'll come as a conquering king. How about the New Testament? Well, we got scores of archaeological evidence for that as well. Here in Caesarea Maritima, up in northern Israel, there's a beautiful hippodrome here where they do the chariot racing, and then there's a beautiful amphitheater here that seats over a thousand people. They still do concerts there. The acoustics there are just incredible. Built by Herod the Great. Well, in 61, what did we discover? We discovered the famous Pontius Pilate plaque. There, written there in Greek, you can still read a partial inscription. It reads, To the Emperor Tiberius, a Pontius Pilate, 
the prefect of Judea. Apparently, Pontius Pilate dedicated this stadium to the emperor Tiberius. These historical figures, consistent as recorded in the book of Luke, and here we have confirmation outside the Bible of a real Pontius Pilate and the emperor Tiberius. Here in Capernaum in 68, archaeologists discovered the remains of a church, and underneath it was a house. This house had been used for a place of worship, and they discovered that the tradition goes all the way back that this house was used as a place of worship well before the first century AD. And guess whose house it is? The house of Peter. And you can go visit it today. The Pool of Bethesda. John 5 describes this unusual pool in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate where there are five covered colonnades. And here is where Jesus healed a lame man and told him, pick up your mat and walk and go home. Scholars doubted the biblical account because they said there's no pool like this anywhere in Israel. This is a very strange description of a pool. There's none like it around. Well, in the 30s, they discovered a pool with four colonnades and a fifth one right in the middle. And they discovered, guess what? The pool of Bethesda. And just recently in 2005, they discovered the pool of Salome. Here is where Jesus healed the blind man by spitting in the mud and putting mud on his eyes. They discovered it just recently in a royal chamber there in Jerusalem at a gravesite there. Archaeologists discovered an ornate ossuary. Now, when you go to Israel today, you'll see ossuaries all over the place. Hey, there's hundreds of them. They're still studying them. All right, there's just so many for them to look at. It's a treasure trove in Israel. It's, there's almost just too much archaeology there. Uh, archaeologists can't keep up. In an ornate ossuary there, they discovered the ossuary of Caiaphas. Who is he? A high priest that sentenced Jesus to death. And in 2002, they discovered after tremendous amounts of study, they finally confirmed the ossuary of James, the half-brother of Jesus. Herschel Shanks, who is a more moderate scholar, put the ossuary through many scientific tests and concluded, indeed, this is the ossuary of James, the half-brother of Jesus. When it comes to biblical archaeology, we've only discovered about 10% of what's out there. 90% is still yet to be found and we are finding more and more and more as we go. Herod the Great, eh, the one who tried to kill Jesus, was a tremendous builder, built several huge fortresses, about seven, around the land of Israel. This is the Herodium here. It's a man-made mountain, about 2,500 feet above sea level here. This is one of his palace fortresses. We went and visited this great palace fortress. And guess what they discovered? The sarcophagus of Herod the Great. And what they discovered, as you know in the biblical accounts, although he ruled over the land of Israel, he was a servant of Rome. And instead of having a Jewish burial, he had a Roman-style burial. So his sarcophagus was discovered there just recently in 68, 
the bones of a crucified man was discovered. In fact, his ossuary still had his name on it, Ben Yohanan. And there's a six-inch nail driven right through his ankle. There is the reconstruction there. Just as described of Christ in the New Testament. And what's interesting is that in 1878, they discovered the famous plaque called the Nazareth Decree, written by the Emperor Claudius of Rome, who ruled from 41 AD. Now, just a few years after the account of the resurrection of Christ, the Emperor Claudius traveled down to Palestine, obviously to investigate this account of a man rising from the dead. And after his investigation, he made a decree, the famous Nazareth Decree. And what's interesting about this is that he forbids anyone to plunder a tomb. And what's interesting is that if anyone is caught doing so, they will receive the death penalty. Now, plundering tombs is not uncommon in the Middle East. But a decree not to disturb tombs in the city of Jerusalem is very strange. And to put on top of that, if anyone does, you receive the death penalty. Very strange decree there and a very strange kind of penalty. Well, we can reasonably conclude he went down there and heard about a historical Jesus and about an empty tomb and a guy rising from the dead to where it motivated him to write the Nazareth Decree. Well, those are some uh, of the significant discoveries. We could go on and on and on, but uh, I think I'll stop here. But what are some life applications we learn from just a brief overview of some of the fun discoveries that we have made in archaeology in the land of Israel? Well, number one, testimony of archaeology demonstrates that Christianity is indeed a historical faith. The events that are written of in the Bible are not legends, but indeed they are historical events, real events of God's activity here upon the earth. Number two, the Bible is an accurate historical record of God's redemptive salvation message and activity here upon the earth. Jesus Christ was a real historical person who lived a very unique life, claimed to be the one and only divine Son of God, and confirmed his claim to his miraculous, sinless life, death, and resurrection. And we have an accurate historical account of that. And finally, the Bible can be trusted. It can be trusted as an accurate historical account of God's movement here upon the earth and his redemptive, saving history here upon the earth. If you missed our Israel trip this past September, don't worry. We are going in two years. Okay, so in October of 2021, you can join us again and see these sites for yourself. Or if you want to study more of this or listen to some of the great interviews we've had with some of the top archaeologists of our day, you can go to evidenceandanswers.org. So as Jesus said, that if we remain silent, the very stones will cry out. And indeed, the stones of history are crying out, even today, 
testifying to the truth of Jesus Christ and his holy word. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for the testimony we have from history like archaeology that confirms our faith in your son, Jesus Christ, and that your word is indeed true. We pray that the things that we have studied encourage our hearts, strengthen faith, equip us to share the powerful and compelling evidence of your son, Jesus Christ, and your word to a lost and dying world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed Pat's show today. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold a conference, give him a call locally in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. That address again is evidenceandanswers.org. And you may do so right there online on the homepage. You'll also find we have a wide variety of resources available to you. Everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran.